You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. From our original list, uh, what we're going to be talking tonight is about tonight is number seven on that original list, body, soul, and spirit, as it relates to death, having a resurrection uh, as was his. So if you would start with me, uh, let's, let's just go to Romans uh, chapter six for just a moment. I don't have any of these written down, so I'm going to have to find them as well, make them a little bit slower, but... Uh, I was in the Bible study many, many years ago, and the teacher was going through Romans chapter 6, and because I, I don't think I had ever understood, as it states in verse 5, Romans 6 verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which we know we have, he says we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So basically the announcement is simple, that we will have a resurrection that looks like like Jesus' resurrection. So if I'm going to understand what happens to me at death, I need to understand what happened to him at death. So basically understanding what happened on the cross, what happened immediately after the cross, will give us a great deal of clarity about what happens to us at that exact same moment. So we're going to look tonight at what happened to Jesus at his death. And we have to approach it, as we always consistently do, is to recognize that it has to be approached from the framework of body, soul, and spirit. Because if I were to, we'll we'll just do the simple one now. What happened to his body? What, what did he do with it? They put it, they put it in the tomb. What will happen to our body? Exact same thing. Now, what's the difference there in his and ours? I mean, we have to recognize this. What uh, both, both will be put away for a time. Why was his time so short? Much shorter, likely, than some of ours. What what was the cause of his body only being there for a short period of time? It says that that he could not take on corruption. He was incorruptible. So it was necessary that his body didn't decay. Now, us, it won't make any difference, but because of what was yet to come with him, the resurrection that was coming immediately thereafter, his body couldn't decay. Plus, it was, it was scripturally established that his body couldn't decay. So, but his body was taken, and it was, it was placed in the tomb. It was, so it had an outcome. When we began to think that we're going to have a resurrection like his, we need to understand what happened to him at his death. 
we could start with his body, recognizing that his body went to the ground. It was, it, it was, it was set aside. Okay, so we, we can recognize that if I don't know body, soul, and spirit, I'm not going to understand what happened to him. Okay, let's, but I, I think I can do the other, another one without having to really dig deeply into the scripture. What happened to his spirit? What did he say? Into thy hands, I commend my spirit. So our body goes to the grave. When we die, where does our spirit go if it's like his? Into the Father. Exactly. So the big question then remains, what happens to our soul? And this one is one that uh, we have to consider a little bit on a, on a bit of a different level. So let's go to Luke chapter 23 and look at, and look at one verse, Luke 23, and, and I'll read verse 43. Very familiar. I'll back up to 42. Uh, we're talking about the thief. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when I come into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So uh, we have to ask then, we know where his body went, we know where his spirit went. What's happening here? This promise of, that he, when he says to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, where we begin to get a little bit confused is that that word paradise makes us instantly think of heaven. But I want to just, because this is the fastest computer that I have on me, uh, I want us to, I want to look at that word. So I'm going to go to Luke 23, 43, go down to verse 43. And when I click on it, I can go to the inter, interlinear concordance and it'll bring up the Strong's concordance there. What does it say about paradise there in your Bible? The, the significance of it here, because we know, of an, we know of an outcome, is the part that you read that says the part of Hades, which, which because Hades and Sheol are the same thing, one Old Testament, one New Testament, but they basically the same thing. It being the part of Hades, which was thought by the later Jews to be the abode of souls of, of the pious until, until the resurrection. So what, what they're saying is that paradise was a place where both those who were saved basically in the Old Testament and those who were lost in the Old Testament are both held. A place of, of the dead. And we know, again, we know this to be true uh, because we can read, if you, if you go back and in, the, in, the, in the old story, and I'll tell you in a second where that is, it's in First, I'm not going there. First Samuel 28. Uh, there's a story back there where King Saul wants to talk to Samuel. What's the problem? Samuel's dead. And so they go to this woman of Endor. And, and 
and ask her to bring Samuel out of the dead. And she says, no, I am not touching that because you'll know then that I'm a witch and you'll kill me. So King Saul makes her a promise that he will not harm her. He's desperate. And she brings Samuel out of the lower regions. She brings him out of Sheol. So we know that Samuel was hanging out in this lower region. We also know, uh, and this is from uh, Genesis thirty-seven, thirty-five, that Jacob was there as well. Now we're talking about the patriarch, Jacob, a believer, a follower of, of God, but they were held in the lower region. Now, this shouldn't bother us because we should be able to very realistically know why. Why couldn't the souls of these men and women be in the presence of the Father? It's it. Keep going. Exactly right. Say it again. The blood had, the sacrifice hadn't been made. The sacrifice had not been made that would establish them as sinless before the Father. Because the blood of bulls and goats and cows and everything else couldn't do it. So we're recognizing that their souls were in were in paradise or in Sheol or Hades. Do what? Yes, the, the, the New Testament makes very, very little difference in those two. Sheol is just a Hebrew word, and, Greek, and, and Hades is a Greek word. So, yeah, it, it's, it's the place of, of the dead. The uniqueness is, though, that... Uh, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at a passage right quick. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. We're, we're close there. Let's go there. I want us to read a little bit about how we know the most about Hades. And it's in Luke chapter 16, and I'll begin uh, reading in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that would 
send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he might testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. <clears throat> what have we typically done to this passage? What do we typically call it? It's, we call it a parable. Notice here that Jesus neither says nor intends nor acts as if this is a parable because it would be the only one where there was actually a name in a parable. There's not another parable where Jesus specifies a particular name of anyone. But what do we learn here then about this place called Hades? Because the word hell that we read down in verse 23, and in hell, that is, that is not, that we have to get this straight in our head, the word hell in the scripture never refers to the lake of fire. Not, not even once. Hell always says Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, or Tartarus. It's always going to be one of those because it says at the end, death and hell, that word is Hades. Death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. So these references to hell confuse us. So he's telling him, he's, he's, he's saying in Hades, and then we, and we get to hear this. So what are, we, what are we learning about Hades from this passage? Well, we learn there's two pieces to it. We kind of learn that there's Hades proper, and what's the other half named? Where was Lazarus? In Abraham's bosom. So we get to recognize there's two places here where, where the rich man was and where Lazarus was. And the report is there's a great gulf fixed between us. Now one, it, one can, could see into the other. So we have both there both those who are in torment, and, and that's not a hard concept, because what happens to anyone separated from God? We're not confused about this. Now, we're a little bit confused because of humanity's variation of this, but even in our humanity, what begins to happen to somebody when they have totally accepted to live absent from God? That they will end up in torment. On earth and after. The only difference about on earth is we're still living under the grace of God that's produced goodness in us because we are his creation. Now, when, 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 we, when that, we die, that stops. And we're just in torment. So torment is a very natural result, not a punishment. It's a very natural result of being separated from God. We keep thinking God's punishing and punishing and punishing. I want to tell you, Separation will create its own torment. Abraham could, but it never says Lazarus could. That's why he wanted to send somebody back. I don't want my brothers to end up here. I want them to end up over there because he could see the difference. So we learned some pretty powerful things about Hades in the fact that there is a great gulf, but both groups of people are there. Or Jesus was creating such a strange narrative about this place. 
Now, their bodies weren't there because their bodies were buried wherever their bodies were buried. We, re- we, we read about these deaths of Jacob and his burial. And so that we know where their body is, so it's not their body. So we're, you know, here we're, we have a, a very different perspective because we're recognizing that they can't go into the presence of the Father yet because there was no redemptive price paid. So let's go a little bit further. Let's go to, let's go to Psalm 49. <clears throat> I don't want to just... I want to give the scripture that's important. There's so much more I could give, but it would get uh, a bit monotonous if I just went through all of them. Uh, Psalm 49, verse 15, just this reference. Uh, But God, after speaking in verse 14, like sheep they are laid in the grave, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Now, Elaine, do you have a strong comment about that? Do you have a strong number about any, about that verse written? Do you have notes on your page about that, like, like you did earlier? What does it say about the word grave? So he's actually saying in that in that verse uh, that that God will redeem me, my soul, from the power of Sheol. Now I'm gonna I'm not gonna read these two, but if you want to write them down, this is David's Psalm in verse in chapter. 86 verse 13 he references the word hell and being redeemed from hell which is the word Sheol there is also another one of these in three chapters later in chapter 89 verse 48 that speaks of the grave and it's also speaking of being redeemed from Sheol so again we're getting this very strong picture that the Old Testament saints were held there but under a promise that they would be redeemed from that place. That's right. They were not in torment. They were not in a negative situation. Right. But not they, what they had coming. But they, they also, yeah, the, not, the, not yet under the promise that had been made them. Right. They were standing there with a promise not yet fulfilled. But they were content. They were, because they, were, they, they wanted the, the dead... The, the unsaved wanted to be over there. So they were in a, no, they weren't being harmed. I don't know exactly what that portion would look like. Uh, but let's go, to, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a second. I'm going to begin reading in verse 39, Hebrews eleven thirty-nine. 39. This is that faith chapter that, we're, that, we, that has this roll call. Uh, I want to begin reading in verse, in verse 39. And these all, speaking of, uh, b- before that, it speaks of, of, of Abel, of Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the parents of Moses, Joshua, Rahab, others. And then in verse 39, it says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they, with, that they without us should not be made perfect. So he's saying that, that, that these 
would have to also be redeemed under the same promise that we got. So they were, they were waiting on a promise. Now we're going to flip to verse to chapter 12, verse 33. It tells us that they had waited. They had waited for so long, not yet having received the promise, until their spirits were made perfect by his death. What it was, it was much more abrupt than that. Abrupt. abrupt. Because again, if, if I had... If I gave you a check for $10,000 and you were standing there with this check, what would the check be worth? Nothing until you cast it and cash it. And what if you went to cash it and I didn't have that money in the bank? What would it be worth? <laughs> Nothing. So you stand there holding this piece of paper until something happened, until I made a deposit. And then you could cash the check. When, when Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, he was going to tell them, cash the check. Because the one thing you needed to, to take possession of the promise has now occurred. The atonement for all sin has now occurred. The price has now been paid, not only for the sins of the New Testament saints, but the price has been paid for yours as well. That's, that sacrifice that bulls and goats and sheep and everything else that was ever done that could not do it has now been replaced by that perfect lamb, and, and you can now cash the check. So basically what we know from other scripture and from other places that Jesus, this, uh, some of this is in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, that Jesus took captivity captive. Sound like a familiar phrase? He took captivity. Who was that? This was Lazarus. This was Jacob. This was Saul. This was Samuel. This was the righteous, who, the pious, the believers who were held in that place in Hades, he says he took those who were, who were held captive there, not because they were bound, but because of the limitation. He took captivity captive, and he took them to the third heaven. So now we, we get a more complete picture. Because if he took the souls and the spirits of those Old Testament saints who now had been perfected, as it says in Hebrews, had been perfected by him, then they too now can come, come into the presence of the Father. So he takes them into a completeness in them. So in Dale's words, when he teaches this, he said what he went to preach into Hades was completion. That the story, the sacrifice was now complete, cash the checks, he took them captive and took them to the third heaven. So now, now then, if I understand this and can believe this, I know what happens to my body. I know what happened to my spirit because I had a resurrection like his. So that the outstanding piece of this was what happened to my soul. And, we, and now we have the answer. It doesn't go to Hades. It doesn't go to Sheol. It's not going to the place of the dead. 
because it says that my resurrection will be like his. My soul, along now with my spirit, goes to be with the Father. My body remains in the grave, waiting on the day when it too will have its resurrection like his, a, a, a body that comes back. So I, if, but if I don't understand spirit, soul, and body, we will, we will kind of sink into, into the, the simple story. It's a lovely story, but we kind of sink into the story of oh, when, I, when I die, I go to heaven. Well, I like the simplicity of the story, but the reality is that there's an element of this that says I, I will have a resurrection like he had. Well, <clears throat> that changes it a little bit for me. No matter what I do and how I perceive what happens to us at our death, I know by the fact that he described it as what happened to him is far more glorious, far more majestic, far more dynamic than my mind can imagine this leaving this place and finding myself there. Simply because it says I have a resurrection like his. And I can't, I can't make mine now by that promise. I can't make my resurrection not only in the semantics and the design of it, but in the degree of it less than his. When we look at the word paradise, it just gives us this immediate connotation of something that we need to slow down long enough to recognize that in context, and if I, if I take it out of context, I can do all kinds of things with it. But when I recognize that somewhere, sometime, at some place, Jesus took captivity captive and took him to the third heaven, I know that's talking about these promises that were made to these Old Testament saints back in the book of Psalms, other places where they said their souls would be redeemed from Sheol. So I know where he went. I know what he did. And I know the purpose of it so that you and I today, because of him, don't have to, because of the sacrifice, living on this side of his death and burial and resurrection, I don't have to go there for any time of waiting. My soul and my spirit are immediately in the presence of the Father. And my body will resurrect someday. And, of course, that leaves this, uh, this other question that is unanswerable about what bodies do we have there? There's certainly a question there, and I think maybe someday God will answer that question for us as to about what that is, what that body is that is temporarily used waiting on the resurrection of this perfected one. Oh, yeah. Well, in almost every heavenly account, there's recognizable people. So there is, there is some form of, of a means by which our spirit and soul can be represented tangibly, recognizably in heaven. Just don't know exactly what it is because the promise of a resurrected body at his, at his coming is still in existence. That the dead in Christ shall rise first and then those that will remain. So that promise still intact means that someday that resurrected body, that new body, Will, will be, be a reality as well. So I've got, there's a question in there that I can't answer. Yeah, it, 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 that is a great question because 
there was this absolute trust in the father when he says, you know, in, in the garden, not my will, but yours. Uh, he, we, we know by that time he already knew of the torment that he was about to face. But I think by that time he absolutely knew. He was in agony, but it said he could also count it joy. Because mm-hmm. he already had a picture of, of the other side of what that time would bring. So, All right. Lord, we thank you tonight that we could just come to this topic and, and let you just refresh our minds and our hearts of once again of your love for us and how we can live under this assurance, live under this very powerful promise of eternity and know, Lord, that we will never die. What an amazing, amazing truth that our bodies will, but our souls and our spirits never will and that immediately we will be in your presence. So Lord, thank you for the assurance and for the promise that you have strongly and boldly made us of what happens to us when, we, when, we, when this portion ends and that we wake into another. Just thank you, Lord, that you have assured us of these moments and what they look like and that, that there is no waiting for us for, for those who believe, because we will wake in your presence. So God, thank you for the teaching. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for each one that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.